welcome to the Miles to Memories podcast. I'm Sean Coomer, your host, joined today by PDX Deals Guy returning. He was on the show a few weeks ago, and now he's back from Europe to talk about all of his European adventures. Welcome back to the show. Thank you, Sean. Good to be back. And uh, PDX is a contributor to Miles to Memories, longtime contributor, friend, started as a reader on the site. We've told the story before, but uh, you've been part of everything behind the scenes for, I don't know, long. It's been, what, close to a decade now? Yeah, yeah. I think it is coming up on 10 years now, 2014, I think. But yeah, as I joked last time, calling me a contributor is, is a bit much, but but I'll take it and uh, certainly enjoy being connected with the community through the Diamond Slack and all that good stuff. Yeah, absolutely. And you've written articles for us in the past on all kinds of stuff. I remember early on, one of the uh, interesting things was uh, these are gift cards. I think I've told this story before, but I, I always have this memory. So back in the day, occasionally I would go to McDonald's to go work on my laptop. And the McDonald's by my old house was a really high-end restaurant that was being built that went bankrupt. And McDonald's took it over before it ever opened and turned it into a McDonald's. So it was a very, very nice place to work. And one day we found out that Sears had $200 Visa gift cards. And I was writing about it and uh, you were going to Sears and I remember you sending me the picture so I could get it on so that's contributing uh, way back early in the day. I do I, st- I remember the yellow packaging I think maybe they were Sunrise Visa gift cards. I That sounds right yeah they definitely were yellow. And I don't know you know what the connection was it must have been Sears points or something along with it I but uh, that that's hilarious. And we were both way too excited about that discovery. Still are apparently. <laughs> yeah that was back in the day when you were really there, there wasn't nearly as much information I think but there's still a lot of discoveries like that that happen in the community with different products always coming and, and different things. But yeah, I, I forget what the exact, I, was it just spending the money and buying the gift card there? It might've been that or shop your way rewards. You and I used to do a lot of shop your way rewards. I used to have a lot of those and different promos. I think shop your way is still around, which is insane. Yeah. Well, I mean, obviously you and some other folks are still getting a lot of benefits through that credit card. I, I don't have it, so I'm not as tied into it, uh, but uh, the, and the credit card is still available. Is it not? Yeah. The credit card is still available. The company is still there. I, I think they still have a few stores, but but it's just weird to think that anybody uses Shop Your Way because they really made a big push. And uh, I even used that program for weird things like buying Disney gift cards. There was a, a way to do City to Shop Your Way to all this different crazy stuff. So uh, it's been useful over the years. But I just feel like the company's dead. But I guess they're still I wonder how many locations they have between Sears and if there is any Kmart's left. I don't know. I don't think so. I, I know uh, my old Kmart that I grew up going to in Portland here just burned down the other day. So it's uh, emblematic of, of the Sears Kmart situation. Welcome to the Sears podcast. Yeah, I mean, uh, plays from the past, all uh, all that good stuff. And we spent a lot of time in Sears. I think a lot of people did back then because of the program. So always fun. We're going to talk about Europe today because we hinted at it on the last show and you've made two trips to Europe in the last month. Uh, so we'll get into that, like how you flew there. Obviously, your Virgin Voyage's uh, redemption, what you liked about it, some of the ports you went to, which were exciting to see some cities that I've visited, but not on a cruise ship. And I haven't been there in a while. So I'm really excited to find out about that. Before we get into it, you see these fires in Maui uh, that's happening? It seems like the whole town of Lahaina has burned down, or a lot of it has. Yeah, I was just, just talking to my wife about that last night, looking at uh, the conversation that was going on in the Miles to Memories uh, Diamond Slack. I have some members over there that were commenting on it and it's posting some photos. That's that, that's crazy. It you know, sounds like maybe part of the island is pretty much cut off, and you know, as anyone who's been there knows, there's you know pretty much just one route to get, at least you know, convenient route at all, so pretty scary. It is. like People were rescued from the 
the ocean in Lahaina. The fire took over the front street. That's the main street down there. If you've ever been in that town, that's where all the main shops are. And it's a big tourist corridor of Maui and Kanapali, where like the Hyatt and the West and all that is not that far from there. And apparently the fire was moving in that direction this morning. So hopefully they, they're able to get it. But I think like 911 was out, power out everywhere. So hopefully everybody's safe. If you're traveling there, I hope you're okay. And uh, that, yeah, it's crazy. The, the videos have been insane. If you're somebody who is interested in watching that, you know, head on to Twitter or something. And some of these videos are, are truly intense and uh, it's sort of surreal to watch it happening in Hawaii. And apparently the winds are going to be nasty all through the next day, but hopefully they'll they'll calm down. But up to 60 mile per hour winds isn't helping. Maui going to be transformed. Yeah, sounds like remnants of a hurricane. But yeah, I mean, selfishly, uh, you know, someone who goes there, you know, every year or two, uh, obviously hope that there's not longstanding da- damage. I mean, more importantly, of course, we're concerned about the residents there and anyone who's there right now but selfishly as a someone who goes there uh, hopefully there's not long-standing permanent damage the sun comes up we're recording this on wednesday morning hopefully we learn uh, some good news and not some bad news so one last update before we go on to talk about europe and that's the southwest premier business card and that is the offer we talked about the last time you were on the show the potential of maybe timing this perfectly so that you could get the companion pass in 2024 and 2025 so basically doing your spend so that all your points hit in 2024. And we talked about how the offer ends August 28th. And uh, we kind of said that maybe we would get referral links with later expiration dates. And that's exactly what happened, right? Yeah, that seems to be the case. Uh, DDG wrote a post, I think, in the last uh, couple of days, highlighting the fact that referral offers seem to be showing a September 4th expiration date for the offer now. So yeah, we don't need to probably get in all the details of this. I think we talked about it last time. But uh, if you time it right, apply right close up against that uh, September 4th date, and then maybe change your statement date, which you can call Chase and ask them to change the statement date. If you kind of time that all perfectly, change the statement date to, you know, the first or second of the month and get your spending done at just the, the right time, you can make sure that those points don't hit until next year. And then if you get all of those points uh, via the offer, you could end up with a companion pass for close to 24 months, all of 2024 and 2025. Yeah. And I said on our spending time podcast in the Diamond Lounge that I'm doing this. So Benji's going to hold me to that. So we'll, we'll, we'll see. But yeah, basically, let's say you pick up the card September 3rd. And obviously, three months later is December 3rd. So how does that work? Well, as PDX said, if you change your statement date to the first of the month, and you do all your spending between, let's say, December 1st and December 3rd, so your statement's going to print December 1st with no spending, you have until the 3rd to do the spending. So now you do that, but those points won't hit until the next statement on January 1st. And then you know you do the rest of your spending to hit the rest of that offer, and you have all your points in 2024. So that's good. And if you already have the card and you can refer a player to or something, that's also good too, since these are referral links. Good update and good prediction there, because I think you you called this one. I think I got lucky on this one. I will be joining you. That's good. Yeah, I mean, two years, I gave it up and I talked about because of Frontier and my status and all the other stuff that I wasn't as focused. And I haven't flown Southwest actually in a couple of years, but I do have points there. And now I don't have any status with uh, Frontier or even Spirit because my status match that I did before they offered that bigger status match, I had done it just before that. So I only got like four months of status. So bad timing there on my part. So I'm back to Southwest as my as my backup. And then I need the companion pass because the prices are too much. Plus I have, you know, a couple hundred 
thousand points to burn. It just seems like I always am able to keep my balance there. You're different because you're always transferring ultimate rewards over there, but I've always managed to keep somewhat of a balance there. So it'll be nice to top it off with this offer. You're doing ultimate rewards all the time. What do you think about the Marriott 50% transfer bonus from ultimate rewards? Yeah, you know, I think the general consensus, and I would agree with it, is that I'm not too excited about it. You know, I think just using point valuations, which I can I'll hear Benji saying, don't worry about point valuations. But, you know, just, just thinking about the value of points, even with the 50% bonus, it doesn't get me too excited. Obviously fine for, you know, topping off if you need it. Uh, I mean, I'd love it if that was the, you know, exchange rate all the time for, for topping off when needed. But uh, I'm certainly not going to speculatively transfer, especially ultimate rewards. So, you know, something like uh, Amex or City points uh, that I have a plethora of doesn't have that Hyatt connection. I might be tempted, but with the value of ultimate rewards for Hyatt and to a lesser extent Southwest uh, for me, as you pointed out, I, I, I don't think I'm that excited about it. You? Yeah, not at all. And I think that a 50% transfer bonus on the surface seems exciting and it like catches your eye and you think that it should be great. But I think the fact that a 50% transfer bonus on Marriott shows you how bad of a redemption or transfer that really is because it's still not good even at 50% more. Uh, I think the consensus is that Marriott points are worth 0.7 cents each. You'll find different numbers that are pretty close to that. And that's pretty much in line with where I find most of my redemptions. I certainly have gotten more than that, but you know that's about average. So even if you're doing 50% more, not a great deal. And it doesn't really compare to the value of Southwest, United, Hyatt especially. So uh, still not something that's great there. But as you point out, it is good to uh, top off points. If you need a few thousand more points, you can also top off your certs now with Marriott. So uh, this could be a way to get some points in there. They also just came out with a Marriott business card offer with three 50K certs. And they, the offer, the better offer recently was 125K. And I wonder, I'll ask you really quick, what would you take? Three 50K certs that expire in a year uh, that you can top off or 125,000 points, which was the old, you know, the old good offer on this card uh, a few months ago. I think I'd take the points, but do you think a lot of people like those certs? Yeah, I think for most people, the points make more sense. The flexibility of the points not expiring, not you know having the expiring certificates. But if you're this type of person, and I'm I'm probably close, you know, on the edge of being this type of person. If if you're the type of person who knows that you're gonna you know be staying at 50k or you know somewhere in that you know 45 to 65, since again you can top off with with 15,000 points if you want. If you know you're gonna be staying in those range of hotels at least three times in a year, then you know why not? Um, and again, I'm I'm kind of probably right on the edge. I you know have some Marriotts that I stay at uh, when I travel to some of my favorite spots that uh, pretty consistently I, I think I probably would use it uh, but yeah you can't beat the flexibility of the points and the lack of expiration yeah and I think the 125k offer had 3k spend and this has six but you know this is here now that's not here so it's not really a, an easy comparison I will say that when it comes to free night cert offers I highly recommend that people have a use for them before they apply because with points you have the flexibility things change you and I both did that thing with Marriott when they were going away from SPG and we got the cert and the, you know, and the miles and, and everything. And we never ended up using our certs. And it turned out to be a good thing, right? Because years later, when they were some weird update to the program, they just cashed in all of our certs and gave us a lot of points. Like, I think I got like 400,000 points or something. It was a lot. Yeah. So it, it <laughs> that was the one case where procrastination really paid off with the cert. But in most cases, probably not. And Marriott has been good about extending them, but they're not going to extend them forever. And, you know, that's always a uh, your mileage may vary scenario. So good deal, but have a use for those certs and then do it. And 50% Marriott 
from Chase, don't do it unless you have a very, very specific to reason to do it. And then only in small amounts. That would be my my recommendation. Absolutely. So as teased, Europe. So give us a little background on this. So you went to Europe, what, twice within the course of a month, a few weeks? Yeah, late June and then late July. Uh, the first time was a trip uh, my wife and I took with our daughter to celebrate her graduation from college and uh, kind of hit southern Germany and into Hungary. So we can get into some of the details on that. And then a month later, went right back. And uh, as you mentioned, before uh, took a virgin uh, voyage out of Athens. And again, we'll get into that. Yeah, I'm excited to talk about virgin voyages. As people know, I did the my virgin voyage a little earlier this year. Just to disclose this right now, my virgin voyage uh, was paid for by the company uh, as a media cruise. So just going to disclose that now, if we mention virgin throughout this, PDX redeemed virgin red points for his. So he used the points redemption option, which I would have done, honestly, if it was around because it was so cheap. It, it, it was crazy. So I can't wait to talk about that and kind of compare notes on that. But you flew Condor. We we talked about this a little bit on the last show. You flew Condor both ways. Both trips. Both trips, yeah. So uh, you're, you're now a Condor aficionado. You probably know more about Condor premium class than anybody else in the miles and points space. But how was it? I mean, this is an airline that has long been known as a budget airline. Condor has flown from Las Vegas direct to Germany for well over a decade now. Never flown on them. But they used to be really known as having like very old business class, like, you know, not lie flat, very, very budget oriented airline. Yeah, it is definitely a budget airline, uh, but they, they do have these new planes. And, you know, I, you mentioned Vegas. I, I didn't look that up. I happened to look up and, you know, saw that they have, you know, nonstops from Seattle, I think six days a week, Portland, three days a week, SFO, I think five and LAX two or three, uh, you know, so for people coming from the West Coast going to Frankfurt nonstop, it's, you know, a great option. And, and the, you know, the price for the business class isn't bad that, you know, the cash price, I I think from most of the West Coast cities is somewhere in kind of the you know 1800 range, sometimes as low as down 13, 1400 cash price. So it, it, it's interesting. Of course, it gets much more interesting with miles, which is how I booked with 55,000 for a one way 55,000 Alaska miles. Plus, I think the fees are you know $50 or so uh, from the states and then coming back more like maybe 125, something in that ballpark. Uh, but you know, not bad, not bad at all. And for 55,000 for the business class, it's, uh, it's a nice deal in terms of, you know, the product itself not an airplane guy like like you and and joe but i think it's the a330 900s or something like that the, you know the business class product is you know nice and new and fancy you know the the product itself the hard product you know I, again I, i'm no expert the way that you are but you know just based upon my limited experience you know it seemed fairly middle of the road not, you know nothing too exciting but you know nice new big screens uh the seats are comfortable enough uh nothing like uh you know our cafe experience going to hong kong a few years ago but you know very very solid you know comparable probably to you know united or a delta you know sort of product i don't know again i'm no expert i might be insulting one or the other but the, the hard product itself was was solid but not spectacular i guess i'd say yeah it looked like high tech like a big screen i think they had bluetooth audio didn't they yeah i think we touched on that last time uh, yeah i'm strangely obsessed with bluetooth audio <laughs> uh, so you mentioned cathay so I'll, I'll just talk about it now cathay just teased their new business class seats which look great and they also have bluetooth audio but they look like a next sort of generation of their current reverse herringbone we're not like nerdy to the point where i can tell you the seat like the the manufacturer's 
of their old seats and their new seats and all that. That's not what we do here. But it does look really good. And people can look up the Condor business class seat. It looks significantly better than their old seat. So that's uh, that's good. And yeah. yeah, Cafe, like I said, just to kind of squeeze this in there, since you mentioned Cafe, they have a new seat that's coming. And we all know I'm a big Cafe Pacific nerd. So I'm excited uh, about that. All these good products coming, but Bluetooth audio for all. Yeah, just a you know, few things you said about the the, the layout, uh, just to give people a feel for that. It's a, it's a, it's a one to one business class. There is no first class. Um, so, you know, it is the premium class on the product. It's uh, You probably have, can describe it better than I can, but it's uh, kind of the offsetting thing where, you know, in the middle two seats, uh, you know, in one row, you, the two seats are together. And then in the next row, they're, you know, split apart on, you know, with the seats being on the aisle. Similarly, on the windows, every other seat is either directly on the window or on the aisle, you know, so kind of a staggered setup. Uh, so we flew, I think, three out of the four legs we flew uh, with the two seats in the middle together, which was, you know, nice. If you're traveling as a couple, I can't imagine it'd be terribly fun if you were sitting next to a stranger. There's not, you know, not a wall. There's a little, you know, kind of arm barrier, but there's no wall between the seats. And then the one other leg we took, we both got window seats you know, on the window, uh, you know, again, being exposed on the aisle, I don't think would be the preferred place to be, but the, the up against the window uh, for the, the one seat uh, on the window is pretty nice. Yeah. And these are the Saffron Sky Lounge core seats. And I looked that up so I'm not going to try to pretend I, I knew that off the top of my head but these are the seats that people have seen on other airlines where you, as you say you stagger so you have that really really good seat on the window that throne seat uh, as you say where you're very much isolated and you're very private and then on the flip side there's aisle seats that are so exposed to the aisle that to me they don't even feel like business class and I'll say that because I flew Etihad in one of those seats uh, a few years ago and it was a last second redemption and there was no other seats available so I got stuck in that aisle seat that really is just all the way out there in the aisle and it was a miserable flight i was getting bumped into by flight attendants the whole time anytime somebody walking by there's no privacy so yeah every seat not created equally but there are great seats for couples there and there's also those throne seats so i think with stuff like that being a smart consumer and like knowing what's a good seat and a bad seat can make a huge difference Uh, because like i said that one time i got stuck on that outside seat in that type of product it was probably the worst business class flight i ever had it felt like i was sitting in an economy seat like on the edge of the aisle getting banged as everybody walked by not my favorite overall thing, but those products I've always found to be pretty good as far as comfort on the seats and not as good as some of the, the best products, but for a budget carrier, direct flight, cheap Alaska redemption, Bluetooth audio. I mean, come on now. <laughs> yeah, just a few other things I'll add, you know, kind of for whatever it's worth to complete the conversation. Uh, you know, you mentioned the throne seats that they technically do. I don't know if they refer to them as throne, but they do have some premium seats in the first row that uh, they upset, you know, try to upsell you on. You don't have to, you know, pay for seat assignments or anything on most of the seats, but the, the first row has some extra leg room in all four of the seats across and they charge a, a 300, I, at least what I observed was a $300 premium to upgrade to those. You know, other than the extra legroom, I think they have bigger screens in those seats, and then they provide you an amenity pack and maybe some pajamas, which they don't provide in the rest. So you get a few other, you know, goodies for $300. We didn't choose to do that on any of our four legs, but that option is out there. Yeah, it doesn't sound like it's worth it. I think the one airline where it's worth trying to get the bulkhead seats in business class is... Mint. Well, Mint, but also uh, Singapore Airlines business class, because the footwells on those business class seats are so small. Like somebody like me with a size 13 shoe 
my foot doesn't even really fit in there. And the bulkhead seats all have just open footwells because it's on the bulkhead. So you just have put your feet there and they do charge more for that or they give it to their premium members. But if you check in right at 24 hours out, they open them up to everybody. And on my last flight, I was able to get them. And it's a significant improvement, especially like if you're flying 16, 17 hours to Singapore, like their business class seats comfortable, but those footwells are are terrible. So it's always nice to, to have the, the bulkhead, but I can't see paying the $300 either. In terms of, uh, you know, service and food, I, I found it to be a little bit underwhelming compared to other business class products I've experienced. Uh, you know, the food was fine. The service, to me, it felt like it, it had the budget airline feel to it. Uh, you know, they were friendly enough that, you know, they came through a few times. Again, you know, I, I had fairly low expectations and I think it, you know, met or exceeded them, especially to get that nonstop flight. It was totally worth it. Great value. The only other thing kind of on the, you know, service or, you know, other things front that I haven't mentioned is, you know, there's not Condor lounges, certainly not on the West Coast, but you get access to United Lounge, at least in Portland. I assume that's probably true everywhere along the West Coast. And then in Germany, when you're flying Condor business class, you get access to Lufthansa lounges for business class. Yeah, I've always thought of Condor as something similar to Air Berlin for anybody who ever flew Air Berlin back in the day. I don't know if you did PDX, but it was a partner of AA. They were part of One World and they were sort of a a budget German carrier. They weren't a budget carrier, but they were a budget carrier and they had that same sort of service mentality and and planes and very similar to Condor. Uh, So I do do look forward to trying to do it. It's another reason like I need more Alaska miles now because I booked that Starlux Taipei thing. Obviously I can cancel that, but I think I'm going to try to build a trip around that next year. And now my Alaska balance is pretty sad and it's definitely one of the currencies you want to have a balance in, especially these days with all their partners and these good like redemptions uh, like we're talking about with Starlux or Condor or some of the other redemptions. Plus the fact that they're what I mean, there's just what a what a diverse program. I mean, they're one world. You have all I, they have just so many partners and Alaska is a great program, but not as easy to earn their miles as some of their competitors, which makes it tough. Yes. And some of those sweet spots have gone away, but that's true, you know, of of every program. There's yeah, still certainly a lot of value to be had. And as you say, they are difficult to earn. So, you know, you're pretty much limited uh, to sign up bonuses. Fortunately, uh, you know, Bank of America is still, you know, while not as generous as they used to be, still fairly generous and get offers multiple times over the years. Yeah, especially on business cards. So yes. Good Bank of America. Keep keep up with that. So what are some of the highlights, I guess? We'll talk about the cruise at the end. So outside of the cruise, what were some of the highlights of like hotels, cities, and uh, what you did? Oh, just, you know, quick rundown. We, you know, flew into Frankfurt and spent a day in Frankfurt. Uh, took the train to Heidelberg and then a train to Munich. And then we flew to Budapest and then flew back to Frankfurt to fly home. So, you know, that was kind of the trip in terms of highlights of hotels and activities. Uh, you know, I think the one that probably stands out just because the service was so fantastic and it was such a cheap redemption and, and I love the town too it was Heidelberg we stayed in a um, just standard Mary, you know, run-of-the-mill Marriott it was you know on the river it was a nice location real near the train station I and mean, I think it was cheap you know 20 25,000 points for a standard room and thanks to having platinum status I'm trying to think yeah I did email you know the general manager ahead of time mentioned that we were coming with our daughter who was celebrating her graduation and uh, let's just say they you know upgraded us to a very 
nice suite and treated us uh, very well. And uh, yeah, it was a great experience. I'll, I'll mention too, uh, check out my Twitter at, at PDX Deals Guy. You can look back to late June timeframe. And I, you know, every day on, on pretty much all of our trips, I do a, a daily post with some photos and, uh, you know, highlight some of the hotels and so forth. And I think I did in the case of this one, this Marriott in Heidelberg. But yeah, I can get into more of the what we did in Heidelberg. But uh, that was definitely a, a hotel that stood out while not being, you know, anything fancy. It was just, you know, great treatment, nice club lounge. What about Budapest? I mean, that's one of my favorite cities in Europe. And I think one that a lot of people don't know a ton about, especially the history of there. Like, I feel like you probably didn't know that Buda and Pest were two different cities that joined together. I certainly didn't know it till I went there. And it's very interesting. Lots of interesting architecture, a really cool subway that runs just below ground level. And it's very old. Like the, the original line there, I think is over a hundred years old. Amazing baths in, uh, in there. I don't know if you got to go to any of those, but the Hungarian baths, it's more of a, a Turkish style bath in many areas, but they're, they're very big there. I just love that city. What did you think of it? Yeah, it was a cool city and we did hit some baths uh, just on the outskirts of town, made a pretty quick trip, but it was just something that we wanted to see and experience and certainly fun in terms of the city itself. Just thought it was beautiful. I you know, couldn't help but wonder as we wandered through the town and saw all of this, you know, the nice new shopping districts and so forth, you know, mixed in with the history, you know, how much different that city must have been, you know, going back just, you know, 20, 30 years, how much it, you know, must have changed. But we stayed in a, a very nice Hyatt, I think it's part of their uh, Unbound collection called the Prisi Advar Udvar. That's the property that was a Category 2, right, when it first came onto the scene. Was it really? I believe so, yeah. And a lot of people booked it, and then it went up to like a 5, right, or something? Wow, yeah, it's five, it's, it's a 5 now, 20,000 points, so uh, we hit it uh, on the standard uh, rate time, but we're able to book it, and you know, as Globalist got uh, a, a nice upgrade and you know the hotel itself is beautiful they don't have a lounge but the hotel lobby is just beautiful I, again i think you can see some pictures uh on my tweet just a you know beautiful lobby with a just fantastic breakfast uh it was definitely a great high experience in a good location as well one of my favorite things about traveling to that part of the world and this is sort of a strange thing to say because it's sort of a dark history but you have the whole history of not only the holocaust but then also the soviet union and everything that happened after the world war and i remember in budapest they have the i forget what they call it it's some sort of a, it's a museum that's in the old headquarters of the SS that then became the headquarters of the KGB. And it talks about all the sort of atrocities committed on, under the Nazis in Germany, but then also the Soviets as they occupied them and how the end of World War II really wasn't a good time for the Hungarians. Also about sort of the history there. But it's a, it's a sad museum. There's a lot of stuff there, but it's a very, very fascinating museum and one of the better ones I've ever seen around that subject matter. And uh, it really kind of shows you uh, how Hungary spent a lot of the 20 century, which wasn't as good as uh, you might think, but it is a beautiful uh, place. And just walking around the river there, the architecture, uh, people super nice, food good. So anything else? So Heidelberg, I've never been there. Anything that's uh, super unique as far as things to visit there? Yeah. Uh, you know, the, the, I mean, the main feature that literally stands out as you're looking at the city is the castle, you know, up on the hill, uh, which was, you know, I think they say it was destroyed via some, you know, lightning and fires and so forth. But I, you know, I think it was as, you know, a lot of things would you know, certainly impacted by the wars as well. They, they've done some restoration and it's, you know, still enough there that uh, it's obviously a, a big tourist destination and, and tied into the castle is a funicular that goes up, you know, just to the castle and then far up above it as well. Again, I think I 
have some po- pictures posted of that, but you know, it takes you up way up high on the cliff, way above the castle, looking down on the castle and the river and the city, just some amazing views. Uh, I think a highlight for us, I mean, the old town itself is very cool. My daughter, you know, had us go into all sorts of you know fun places. Like uh, there's a, pr- a student prison in the university at uh, Heidelberg, where you know apparently it was maybe somewhat serious, and then became somewhat of a joke in terms of locking up students, maybe because they wanted to be locked up. But all sorts of graffiti on the walls in their you know jail cells, cells I'd say in jail cells and somewhat air quotes. So that was interesting to see. And then you know the whole old town area around there. But I think maybe a highlight for us was a Across the river, if you go across this pedestrian, you know, beautiful pedestrian bridge, I think they refer to it as the old bridge. And across the way, then you can walk up this huge flight of stairs and do what's called, they call the philosopher's walk. And it's just this beautiful walk along the cliffs on the other side of the river, looking back at the city of Heidelberg, which again is this beautiful old town with a castle above it. And then you, you know, walk slowly down. So basically you can either take the stairs up one way and then walk slowly down the, the path the other direction. So it was quite the workout, but the, the view views were fantastic. Going back to Budapest real quick, you know, hitting some highlights there. I, I don't know if the museum that you mentioned was in the parliament building. That's obviously the big attraction that stands out. Beautiful, huge parliament building. We unfortunately weren't able to take the tour, and I think that might be part of the museum. Again, I'm not sure if that's you know exactly what you were referring to or not. Unfortunately, you know, we were able to just walk around it, not through it. You know, it dominates the views along the river there. But the other, uh, on the other side of the river, there was kind of a cool attraction that we were able to go through that was called, uh, I believe they refer to it as the Cave Hospital. It was, you know, a hospital built into the caves, into the city wall below the palace on the other side of, uh, or in that same area below the palace on the other side of the river, I guess on the Buddha side of the river, as I learned, Buddha is one side and Pesht is the other side of the river. But this cave hospital, you know, was used as a hospital during the, you know, I believe World War II period and maybe the, I think they everyone referred to the 56 uprising. And then later it actually became, uh, it got transitioned into, and part of what you learned, the history of going through this was it became a nuclear bomb shelter. And so they've kind of turned it into a little bit of a museum, an anti-nuclear war, you know, sort of monument or museum. And it was, you know, certainly very interesting to walk through and see. Of course, they, spoiler alert, they mentioned at the end that uh, fortunately it was never used as a nuclear bomb shelter because it probably wouldn't have actually worked as well as they maybe hoped. (laughs) That's a good thing. Uh, That's a good thing. Yes. So the museum I went to just for people out there, it's called House of Terror. And I think that sets the example for what's inside. Uh, like I said, it's a dark subject matter, but one of the best museums I've ever seen in relation to that. And they also, you know, you're talking about uh, like cells, prison cells. If I remember right, they have like prison cells that the KGB would lock people up in in the basement there. It's truly a, a unique thing, but also dark. So keep that in mind. Uh, but history is history. So let's move on to the cruise. And so this is a second trip, Condor, back to Europe. And you were cruising out of Athens, right? Yeah, that's correct. And, you know, so flew to Frankfurt again. And, you know, the, the funny thing thing, you know, from a points, you know, dollars value perspective is, you know, the, the most expensive part of the trip for us, uh, you know, by far and away was just getting to and from Frankfurt to Athens and, and back pretty much, you know, weren't able to find any points redemptions. Interestingly, if we would have waited till the very end, I noticed that we probably could have done Lufthansa on points using, I think, Aeroplan pretty 
cheaply one direction. It wasn't there when I booked, uh, but at the last minute probably would have been. Uh, so anyway, we wasted maybe a little bit more cash than we needed to just to get it locked in. But, uh, you know, that was probably the most expensive part of the trip was just getting to and from Frankfurt to Athens. So the cruise itself cost how many points? What were the taxes? What was the booking uh, scenario for that? Yeah, it was that deal that I think, you know, we highlighted on Miles to Memories and lots of people in the, the Miles and Points space were talking about. Uh, I think it was the second time now that Virgin has offered for 80,000 points to do any of their cruises, I think pretty much with no restrictions other than a certain date band. And I think when this came out in maybe the May, early June timeframe, it was only good through July. And so that's why we booked it at the end of July. We went out as far as we could to try and separate our two trips. As it turns out, they extended it, ended up extending it into August, which I wish I would have done. But once I had booked it, they wouldn't uh, allow us to change it. And we still you know, wanted to do the trip. So we did. But yeah, it was uh, 80,000 virgin points. Uh, like you said, Virgin Red, I believe, which is a, you know, you can transfer points over directly from Virgin Airlines to the their Virgin Red program. And then that's what the redemption is through for the for the cruise line. And, uh, you know, going back into that time frame, I think back in May, there was an active, I believe, 30% transfer bonus from Amex to Virgin. So it ended up being you know, basically 62,000 Amex points to get 80,000 Virgin miles uh, to pay for what was in cash perspective, you know, a four, at least least a 4000 if not you know closer to $5000 cruise for two people so it's you know tremendous points value. Yeah, so that's a crazy good deal and obviously the transfer bonus made it even better but just the 80k is a crazy good deal considering the cash prices and you know the cash prices on Virgin aren't really inflated if you look at compared to their competitors and what they're offering as sort of a higher end cruise line and a lot of the inclusions that they give you like soda and, and you know internet and other things no tips either which is another added cost with many other things. You can tip on Virgin and they do appreciate tips. I'm only saying that they don't include mandatory tips. The the, the basic tips are taken care of basically with your cruise fare. You can still tip more than that uh, if you'd like. And yeah, it's a it's a great uh, cruise. I talked about it. I guess where, where do we start? Let's talk about where you went. What were the ports on this itinerary? Because yeah, I was jealous day after day. <laughs> yeah, just uh, you know, quick frame of reference, I, and you can correct me if I think I'm wrong, but I believe Virgin has four ships now, and two of them are out of Miami, and one's out of Barcelona, and one's out of Athens, and then I think they go to maybe Australia for part of the year, but uh, at least during the summer when we went, there's you know one ship sails out of Barcelona, and they have two different itineraries that they kind of rotate back and forth between, and then similarly out of Athens, they have two itineraries they uh, go back and forth between. Does that sound right to you? Yeah, they have three ships, not four, but they're moving them around a lot, so you know you. Have- have some in Florida. I think you have one in Florida full time and then they're moving them, like you said, to Australia. For having such a small fleet, they seem to be getting their ships around to different parts of the world pretty well. The interesting thing about Virgin is that I believe that all three of their ships so far are pretty much identical. So the experience that you have on one is going to be very much similar, if not identical to the others. But in terms of your question, you know, we left Athens and the four ports uh, were going up the Adriatic Sea. So we, we left Athens, had a day at sea, pretty much sailing up the Adriatic Sea kind of along the eastern Italian coastline. It's also worth mentioning that I think 85% of the rooms or so are balcony rooms, and that was, you know, the offer. So for this, you know, fantastic 80,000 point offer, got a nice balcony room. The ports, uh, just quickly off the top, uh, were Split, Croatia, Dubrovnik, Croatia, Kotor, Montenegro, and then Corfu back in Greece on the way back down before then having another sailing day getting back to Athens. So when I visited this area of the world, it was in 2013, and we were backpacking basically basically around Eastern Europe for a few months. So I had a bit of a different experience. But what was crazy is that Croatia specifically was used heavily in Game of Thrones for filming. And that's 
this all happened after I was there. So Dubrovnik, for example, was a popular place, but not nearly as popular as it is now. It's overrun. And even places I've heard like Split, nobody ever went to Split back in when I went, when I visited there. It was this very sort of quiet seaside town with people in their cafes in the afternoon. But you didn't really see tourists there, or very many tourists anyway. And that's exploded. And KOTOR to all of those places. And yeah, what was your favorite there? I, I love Dubrovnik. I remember a moment driving into Dubrovnik. We were on a bus because obviously we were traveling on land. And I looked out at the Adriatic Sea and the sun was coming, you know, was beating down on the Adriatic. And you had this just sort of reflection. And, and I looked out at it. And I think that is the most beautiful thing I have ever seen in my life, that area. Uh, Dubrovnik's old city with like the walls. It's so picturesque. It almost feels like, and you can imagine this, like you're traveling back in time 600 years when you go there. And they even have that like little marina, which I think is cool. I mean, what did you think of Dubrovnik's old cities? I think you got to climb the walls, right? Yeah, we uh, pulled into port in the morning. And, you know, of course, this is the middle of summer. We got, you know, a little bit lucky on when we got into Athens. You know, if people remember back a few weeks ago, the whole world was on fire. And, you know, when we when we arrived to Athens, it was 108 degrees. You know, over over the course of the week as we sailed, it probably dropped by about 10 degrees or so. And of course, because you're up a little bit further north, you know, the temperatures were a little bit lower, but you know, they were still, it was still hot. So pretty much our strategy in every port was to get off as early as possible, which was, you know, 9 or 10 a.m. And then do as much as we could as quickly as we could before, you know, the sun really started to beat down on us. So, you know, we got to the wall, we paid for tickets in advance, uh, just on our own through the internet, didn't do any tours through the, cr- the cruise line to save money and avoid crowds. But uh, we got on the first bus. The ports are outside of the city in Dubrovnik, so they had shuttle buses running from the cruise ship. But uh, got into the old town of Dubrovnik, went right up on the wall, and you know people say it's you know a couple of hours uh, to to go around the city wall. And you know, all of these towns, I think all of them, Split, Kotor, Corfu, Dubrovnik, all of them you know are all old walled cities. But Dubrovnik really stands out because it's still pretty much complete. You know you can walk literally around the, you know the entire wall, and famously, of course, because as you pointed out, Game of Thrones, you know lots of people have seen it whether or not they know that or not but you know you can walk right along the wall up against the ocean with the you know waves breaking up against the city wall and and then you know walk all the way around to the backside and see the views looking down at the entire city and at the ocean it was a fantastic experience there's you know not a lot of shade so you do want to you know get there early it's crowded with tourists of course and you know people say and i assume this is absolutely true that if you're going to go to dubrovnik you know maybe look and see when the cruise ships are coming in what days the cruise ships are coming in and if you can you know hit the city and the wall on a day when there aren't cruise ships in it would probably be a much better experience. Yeah, the walls are incredible. Walking the walls, a lot of fun. Just wandering the streets in the old city there, I remember being a lot of fun just because of the, the feeling. Like you said, I don't think there's a more complete sort of throwback uh, city town in Europe that kind of like when you're walking in there, you can just almost imagine that you were there, you know, six, whatever it is, back in different times. And even like the marina always stood out to me because it's just this little dinky marina. But I can like envision sailing ships pulling in there and tying off hundreds of years ago. There's a cool uh, cable car too across the street from the old city, which you can go up on this mountain and spectacular views of the sea and and the old city too, which we did. And we took the cable car up and then hiked down, which is a lot of fun. So, you know, that's another thing. I didn't tell you about that because I didn't think of it until you were already there. And to suggest that at KOTOR, there's also a cool mountain you can hike up. It doesn't have a cable car. I did suggest that to you and you said no. So, but it was, it was beautiful. Then I sent you pictures of the view. I said, this is what you're missing. Yeah, we, we, we knew we were 
were missing it, but again, the, you know, kind of the the strategy for us that we followed was, you know, trying to do as much as we could early in the morning, which, you know, in KOTOR ended up being kind of walking around uh, the city. That was probably, you know, the day that we spent the least amount of time in the city, pretty much just got back to the ship and enjoyed the ship. It was right in the middle of the week, you know, ready for a little bit of break. And, the, you know, the highlight of KOTOR for me, at least, was actually sailing out it was the one port uh, where we had to use the tender ships to shuttle into the port. Uh, the ship was anchored off in the bay as opposed to docked on shore. But then when, when you leave, if you look geographically at uh, KOTOR on, on a map, you'll see that it's kind of in, in a number of inlets. It's almost like an Alaska or a you know, Norway kind of cut out fjord. I don't know if it's actually glacial or not, but uh, you know you have to do a couple of switchbacks on some inlets and you know sailing out of there and seeing all the cute little towns, little churches up on hills. I can't remember if I posted it or not, but uh, you know we saw an old Soviet submarine bunker along the way. Uh, just some really interesting stuff sailing out of there. But I guess I have to sail out of there too. No, it does look cool. And as you say, it's, it's inland. So those are always the best. Like uh, last year, we, we sailed into Stockholm and it's like a two hour journey from the Baltic into Stockholm. And you're just sailing through these incredible towns and, and everything that you said, very similar to Alaska or Norway. We did that many times earlier this year in Norway. Those are some of my favorites. And if you can get up for like sail in at sunrise, that's always the most amazing time to see those types of things. But obviously you can do it as sail away. Uh, there's just more people and, and not as peaceful. We're running out of time. So we're going to focus on three things really quick. The stateroom. Uh, the stateroom has some kind of cool features, right? It has the, the smart tech. You can set mood lighting and, and different things. Uh, Jasmine got annoyed with me after a couple days because I just couldn't stop playing around with that. And like, I would just keep messing with the uh, colors and, and, and everything else. Uh, they have a get it on mode, which is always fun. It puts on a certain color and then the TV turns on some uh, sexy music, which is very adult and fun. But what were your thoughts on the, on the stateroom compared to you you have a very limited cruising experience right on carnival so this had to feel like a step up and then also what did you think of the hammock on the on the balcony <laughs> i figured they were going to bring that up yeah you know the room itself was you know nice new clean bed was comfortable enough the bathroom was functional enough actually the shower was pretty dang good for a cruise i'd say it was nice having the, the balcony had a, a you know good view and the, the hammock was uh, you know i have to have to admit it everything's about expectations whether it's movies or cruise ships or hammocks on the cruise ship uh, but I, I think I got oversold a little bit on the hammock by someone named Sean. Sean. So I, I'm wow, wow. I'm not sure it quite lived up to expectations. <laughs> I, I, you know, this is this is offensive. <laughs> this is offensive because nobody oversold me on the hammock. I, in fact, I thought it wasn't going to be great. I'm like, it's it's so small out there. Like, what are you going to do? And then you know, I I watched Jasmine out there on the hammock one night, and she's like out there for hours. And I'm like, all right. So I go out there one day, and yeah, I was there for hours, and then every day after that. So I thought it was. Just just a, what a wonderful place to sit. It depends on where the sun is and, and everything else. Because there was one day I was out there where I was getting killed by the sun and it was the way our the ship was facing and I couldn't be out there that long. I will say that, uh, you know, given the heat that we had, I mean, a great time to be out there was actually at nighttime, right before bed, just we'd go out there and, you know, hang out and very relaxing to just sit there in the dark and hear the ocean. And it, it was it was comfortable. It's just, you know, I'm not, I'm not trading my bed for a virgin hammock. Yeah, well, I, I don't blame you there. So virgin's big thing about their room is they tried to sell this where it's convertible, meaning that at night they can turn it into a bed and then during the day they can convert it into like a sectional couch. And uh, in reality, this isn't that good. 
you can request that your stateroom attendant do this for you, or you could do it yourself. I requested that they did it for me. It took days and they never did it. And then, cause I just wanted to film it. I didn't actually want to use it for myself. I just wanted pictures of it. And finally they, they did it and yeah, it was fine, but totally a gimmick. But when you're in bed mode, which is like 99% of the time, there is this big wooden thing that sticks out on one side of the bed. And I've heard of people who, somebody on our sailing, like sprained their ankle banging into it so hard. I had to sleep on the other side because I told Jasmine there was no way that I wasn't going to bang that thing every night. Yeah, yeah, we didn't experience the the couch mode. Uh, you know, we saw that it was uh, offered, but uh, I just don't understand what the functionality that. I mean, who spends time in their room? I mean, the only time we spent in the room was uh, you know a couple of days the at sea days, especially when we had some sun on the balcony. You know, we enjoyed the balcony for a while, but I, you know, I don't think the point, at least for most people of cruises, is to hang out in your room. The the point is to try and do that as uh, little as possible. So yeah, I didn't see much functionality in that. Yeah, that's one of those ideas. I think that sounds better on paper than it is in reality. And I think it's kind of cool if they could have figured out to do it without the big wooden box kind of just sitting exposed in your room. And I guess that it sort of serves as like a, a table. I don't know, but uh, not my favorite thing, but that's a, that's a miss, but not a huge one. When I did the cruise, it was almost full. And I talked about how I mostly liked it. I talked about how the app really sucked. I mean, really, really sucked. It was almost unusable. People who weren't technologically savvy were having to go to restaurants to like beg for reservations, stuff like that. You didn't really have that issue because you were only 40% full. I mean, that's, I guess that tells you why they were offering such a deal with points. Yeah, I think so. Uh, so it's probably is tied to the time of the year, um, you know, when they're going to offer this deal, if it's going to come back around. But yeah, our experience was very different because, you know, we were told that there, I think was 900 people on the ship, you know, just based upon our experience, you know, something in that 40 percent range feels probably about right. So the app worked better because there was less people using it. Uh, it was still a, a bit of a joke, literally to the point where the comedian at night at the show was making fun of it. And if, you know, Virgin, you know, comedians are making fun of their own app, you know that it's a, a known issue. That said, you know, it, it mostly worked for us. It, it served its purpose. We were able to make, you know, reservations for restaurants. And I assume we'll get into talking about, uh, you know, kind of that unique aspect of, of Virgin. But, uh, you know, it, it worked you know, well enough. But yeah, just overall, our experience, you know, being on the ship, I, I oftentimes said to myself, you know, this feels good because there's 40%. But if you, you know, assumed, you know, double the amount of people trying to take advantage of all the services, notably the restaurants, but, you know, whatever else, the pool, I guess would be another one. The pools are pretty small. Think about, you know, twice as many people being on that ship and it would definitely be a different experience. Yeah, I think in my case, we were pretty close to full. So the pools are undersized. There are problems with these ships and that's one of the unfortunate things that they built all the same ship so that you're not going to get a varying in design. They haven't had the ability to fix it. In other words, they had already contracted their ships before their first ship had ever come online so that they could figure out what worked and didn't work and, you know, tweak stuff. Uh, there are some some rough things, but we're going to have to close this out. So I want to ask you specifically about a couple things. The food on Virgin is included. That's specialty restaurants. I think they say they have 16 different places to eat from like poke bowls to an entire food hall to, I don't know, everything you can think of, pizza, ice cream. But then they also have six specialty restaurants that are mainly for dinner, and those are included as well. As you said, you can make reservations. The food there is generally a very high quality, and we disagreed though, because I thought the steak in the Mexican restaurant was the best steak on the ship, although... And you thought something different, right? Yeah, the uh, there's a f effectively a steakhouse or the you know high end, more high end dining experience. I mean, all of them are you know very 
very nice restaurants. Again, I think very important to set expectations. If anyone goes, you know, much like a, you know, a nice all-inclusive, if you go expecting, you know, five-star restaurant quality, you're going to be disappointed. If you go, you know, expecting, you know, solid three to four-star, I think it'll exceed your expectations. But the, yeah, the steak experience was in the steakhouse. They refer to it as the restaurant as the wake um, because it's on the back of the ship looking at the wake as you're, you know, sailing. Great location. And the, the steaks were phenomenal. And in particular, the filet. There was also a New York option that was good, but the, the filet just really stood out as being very solid, you know, steakhouse restaurant quality in my experience. The uh, steak that you're referring to in the Mexican restaurant uh, is was certainly very good as well. I may have had steak five times. <laughs> no, no, <laughs> no. Yeah, yeah, I think that's something that you end up doing is you have way too much steak. But yeah, they have a food hall, which replaces their buffet. There is so much to, to eat on that ship. And uh, over the course of, I, we did an eight-day cruise and, you know, we just barely got to everything. And some of the specialty restaurants also have lunch, which is good. The Wake actually has breakfast too, uh, where you get steak and eggs and then all the other breakfast stuff. So the, like you said, in a good all-inclusive maybe, I would compare it to other ships because I've, you know, cruised a little bit more than you. And I would say the food in the restaurants there is the equivalent to what you would find in specialty paid restaurants on other cruise ships. So that's the level that you're talking about. Certainly not fine dining experience. They also have Korean barbecue, which is a lot of fun. Play a drinking game. You know, what's funny is I wasn't drinking at all on that cruise, but I won the drinking game. So I had to give away my sake to, to my wife who ended up getting like two shots of sake and then getting <laughs> sick from it. Yeah, we, we, we did it the first night and really enjoyed it. We had a little bit of different experience than you. Uh, fortunately, a very different experience than Jasmine. But we sat down at a table just, with, you know, usually you're with eight other people and they're cooking the Korean barbecue for you right in front of you. It's, you know, kind of a cool experience similar to other, you know, Korean barbecue places uh, that you'd find in, in the States, especially on the West Coast. Vegas, I know, has some great ones, but in those places you're cooking yourself. In this case, they, you know, have your server come, you know, cook for you. That's the most annoying part to me, by the way, is I would rather cook it myself. I get you're on a cruise ship, fire, all that. Yeah. But the whole show of it all was very tedious. Ended up, we sat, sat next to another couple. It was just four of us at an eight-person table the very first night. That other couple, maybe they're listening, were, uh, you know, miles and points folks that were on the same deal as us. And I, you know, one thing we haven't hit on yet, the reason why it stood out was I noticed that he said he had never been on a cruise or had never been on Virgin, but he had the VIP blue bracelet that I had as well from a status match. Pretty quickly, we came to a realization that we were both there on the same points offer. And then as the week went along, we found out that lots of people on the ship were on the same points offer. And then the people who weren't and kept overhearing these conversations were very sad that they had spent four or $5,000 when they could have used uh, six, $800 worth of points instead. That's really insane considering there were only 900 people on board. So it tells you how empty the ship probably would have been outside of that, which is going against all trends in the industry. So I wonder how Virgin uh, is doing as a new cruise line as they try to do this. Uh, for people who don't know, Virgin is owned by Bain Capital, not Virgin itself. Virgin owns a very, very small stake in the company, but Bain Capital is the majority owner and they created this. They basically saw this sort of place in the cruise market. I think overall, my opinion of it is positive, but the one unique thing about Virgin is the entertainment, right? It's different than other cruise lines. Uh, they have something called Scarlet Night, which is where the whole ship turns red and there's different events all across the ship. Uh, they have a resident drag queen, which is something very different than you will see on other things. On my sailing, we had a blues band, which was incredible. Uh, a lot of, you know, different types of musicians. Even there was like a British comedy troupe, which was very different than I had ever seen. Uh, Jasmine hated the British comedy troupe. She thought it was the most unfunny thing she had ever seen. And uh, at the ass, like I thought that, you know, very, very dry British humor, but I, I enjoyed it, but it, it wasn't the greatest thing ever, but she yeah, didn't love it. How did, uh, what did you think of the entertainment? How was uh, the drag queen? How was the Scarlet Knight? All that good stuff. Scarlet Knight was, was certainly crazy. I can't say we uh, part 
to a pretty crazy experience at the pool. The per- pool all turned red. Pretty much everyone, at least that was partaking in the activities, you know, jumping in the pool with their clothes on and, you know, l- loud music. And well, I'll just say it was fun to watch for a while, but we're, you know, pretty boring old people as, as people may have heard. You know, in terms of the other entertainment via the app, we scheduled going to two different acts. We did not see the drag queen. We tried to go to a magic show and to a comedy show. One of the shows we ended up missing by an hour because stupidly we didn't uh, adjust for the fact that ship time and port time were an hour different uh, between Athens and Croatia. So uh, we ended up missing one of the shows. So we only ended up going to one show in the big main venue. That was the one where the comedian slash kind of sort of magician, you know, made the joke about the app being so bad. But, you know, then overall, you know, throughout the ship, you know, musicians and in the bars and the different venues, um, you know, seem to be decent. But, you know, honestly, and I think I've heard you say this before, you know, Carnival, you know, for all of its, uh, you know, reputation and so forth, it's actually, you know, quite solid on the entertainment front. And you and I did, uh, you know, Alaska Carnival Cruise with our wives a year or so ago. And, um, you know, I don't think the entertainment was as good just, you know, thinking about things like, you know, the bands and the, in the you know, bars and different venues. Um, I, we kept making fun of the fact that there was one guy who kind of a cover band guy and he, his shtick was, had a flute involved. So I kept referring to him to as Xanfear uh, of the f- famous uh, magical flute. Probably shouldn't be uh, making fun of him, but uh, the, yeah, the quality just wasn't quite there compared to uh, what we experienced on Carnival, in my opinion. That's interesting because I would say our Virgin Cruise was up there. They didn't have as much when it comes to the music as you'll see on a Carnival Cruise, although the size of the ship is a little different. Uh, but yeah, I really liked the musicians. I love the stuff in the main the main showroom, which, by the way, transforms itself depending on the show. So if, as you see more shows there, it can be a traditional theater they have this show called Dual Reality, which I believe they have on all the ships, but it's their retelling of Romeo and Juliet, which is the most incredible show. Maybe the best show I've ever seen on a cruise ship. I've seen Broadway shows. I've seen everything. And there's a handful of floor seats that you can get. And we just happened to be in the floor seats. I did not know this, but we were literally in the middle of this this acrobatic show, which uh, is basically retelling Romeo and Juliet with dancing and music and very modern. And I don't know how to explain it, but it's incredible. But every time we would go into the theater, it's set up a whole different way. Like they made this room to where they they can set it up in different ways for different things. And Scarlet Night's kind of cool too. I don't know if you went to the mythology of it, but you can go in there and find out the mythology of Scarlet Night and the octopus and, and all of that. It's it's fun. I think they did a good job. Uh, the only other thing you'll know, mention briefly thinking about the ship that we haven't touched on yet uh, is the casino, uh, you know, compared to I think other cruise lines is uh, I, I found it to just be a total afterthought. Just, you know, tiny. Worst casino. They put very little emphasis on it at all. It's it's almost like I, I wonder why it's even there. Uh, which, which is fine. You know, we, we certainly don't need that. But if you're looking for a casino cruise experience, go elsewhere. Yeah, it's not great at all. Uh, even the decor in there, it's like very black. Like there's not a lot of decor there. There's like a big video screen that they thought would, would kind of suffice. One of the night or the nightclub and what's used for a lot of the shows is right off of the casino. So if you're there at night, a lot of times you can hear music coming out of the nightclub. Uh, it's just a space that everybody has to walk through, uh, but it's very tight. The walkway is very, it, yeah, I've been on a lot of cruise ship casinos and I think it's the worst and cruise ship casinos in general aren't great right because they're limited for space and stuff but this was yeah afterthoughts the only thing you can say definitely not a ship that you would want to go base a gambling vacation
conversation around. So any last words on Virgin Voyages uh, before we go? Two other thoughts uh, just to add in. I, I mentioned earlier the status match. If you're going to go on Virgin, I you know highly recommend uh, you know looking into as long as this exists, continues to exist anyway, matching from any of your various uh, hotel status, uh, whether it's you know Hilton or Hyatt or Marriott, I think all of them will match to MSC cruise lines and then Virgin will match to MSC. So it's kind of a two-step, uh, but you know the treatment that you get as Virgin Elite, they just have one level of elite. I forget what they refer to it as, but you know you get a number of nice things, you know, VIP check-in, free premium Wi-Fi, some laundry, you know, one big bag of laundry uh, in the middle of the week. Oh, and then I guess uh, $100 in free drinks on your bar tab, $10 per day for premium coffee, just a lot of nice little stuff. So definitely worth it. In terms of the ports, I mentioned before that, you know, we didn't pay for any excursions and this is probably not unique to Virgin, but the thing that I came away, you know, kind of wishing that we would have done, I, you know, talked about our strategy of just kind of hitting the road and getting as much done as we could every day. I came away kind of wishing that I would have maybe booked some tours, maybe even some private tours outside of uh, the cruise. Uh, And I I partially say that because I have some relatives who previously gone to Croatia, Dubrovnik and hired a private tour guide for, you know, not terribly expensive, probably, you know, pay a little bit of a premium, but also then use that tour guide to take them into Montenegro the next day and and take them around places where you're not going to see, you know, coming off a cruise ship, you come off the cruise ship and you're pretty much limited in what you're probably going to see. Uh, But, you know, I think using a personal tour guide in some of these cities, you know, something that I wish I would have thought about doing. And Cruise Critic can be a great place too. uh, If you want to like get together with other people, Uh, they have these things called roll calls where you can see who's on your ship. But a lot of people will organize excursions, private excursions. So you can often save money, but also get a more, I don't know, detailed itinerary than you would off of a cruise ship. Uh, So you can definitely do that. And as I said, I backpacked through all this area way back when. It is incredible. And you can only see so much from a cruise ship, as you said. So if anybody's ever thinking about, you know, sort of vacationing in this area, Eastern Europe doesn't get talked about as much. I mean, obviously Dubrovnik does, but I mean, the, the areas outside of that, right? The, the, the areas that you don't get up, get to off of a cruise ship. It's all incredible. Beautiful area of the world. Adriatic is incredible. The interesting history of the Soviet Union, Yugoslavia, and all of that stuff is, is really cool as you go country to country there. But I digress. This is a long show. Where can people find you, sir, when they're not listening to this fine podcast? Thank you so much for coming on and sharing everything. Oh, thanks for having me. Uh, again, I mentioned it earlier, but at PDX Deals Guy is pretty much the only place where I am on social media. And again, when I do travel, uh, unfortunately, not as often as Mr. Sean here, but uh, when we do travel, I try and post, you know, kind of the highlights of each day uh, of the trip and love to interact with people on uh, Twitter. And then certainly in the Miles to Memories uh, Diamond Slack, I think you mentioned last week that there's still a few slots open there. So uh, certainly if, if you're not already in it, I highly encourage coming and joining great community and certainly uh, have fun interacting with folks in the, in the Diamond Slack. Absolutely. And you can find that at patreon.com forward slash miles to memories and everything we do related to this podcast at mtmpodcast.com. That's where you can find links to subscribe in any podcast app. Links to apply for cards if you want to support the show, support Miles to Memories. We definitely appreciate that. And uh, everything we do, uh, post podcast videos, milestomemories.com. You can find it all there. Thanks again, PDX, for joining us again. Joe will be back next week to talk all about his adventures in Oceana. So I'm looking forward to that. And uh, in the meantime, have a great week. Thanks for listening. Talk to you next time. See ya.